Good morning, man. I love that song. Sethy did an okay job singing it. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know me, maybe you're online or listening on the radio, my name is Joe and I serve as the worship pastor here. And I'm excited this morning as we're getting ready to start a new series um, called Ghost Stories. So we've been going through the book of Galatians, which we're going to finish up at the end of the year. But right now we're going to jump into what we've done for the past three years. Each year we do this uh, series called Ghost Stories in October. In the past couple years, what we've done is we've kind of really looked at the, the role of the Spirit, like maybe in the gifts or in the, like in the believer himself. And we've kind of started off with like testimonies and stuff. It's been really cool. And I know we're going to get back to that. But this year we want to do something different. This year we want to actually look at the Holy Spirit as the same from the beginning to the end. I think a lot of times when we think of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think of only what he does with the believer. And yet the Spirit is part of God, like the Spirit is God, and so therefore it's from the beginning to the end. And so these next four weeks, we're going to look at creation, regeneration, and dwelling, and then empowering of the, of the Spirit, and so for service. So this week, we're going to look at creation, the Spirit's role in creation. This is near and dear to my heart. For the past four months, I've been studying like the creation account. And it's fascinating what we find in God's Word if we just read it. So let's jump right in. We're going to start with creation. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. If you get your Bibles out, which isn't it weird to go to Genesis? You're used to going right in the middle and you've got to start all the way back here. But Genesis chapter 1, it'll be on the screen as well. But let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read the first two verses together. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1 here. God's word says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've written an account for us, that you've given us insight to what you've done from the beginning. I pray that as we get into your word, that God, you would open our hearts, that we would accept what you've said. And God, I just speak to us in a mighty way. We want to give you all the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned we're going to look at the Spirit's role in creation. But before we do that, I think we have to understand some fundamentals about creation and as well as the God of creation in order for us to understand the role that the Spirit played in creation. Again, this is near and dear to my heart, and there's some things we're going to see here that if we don't have the details figured out, we can be led astray very easily. So if we think about the first thing here, the creation, and as we think about creation, if I was to ask you, what is the first thing God created? There's two popular answers. One is light, and one is the heavens and the earth. And as we just read, the first thing God created is the heavens and the earth, not light. Light is verse 3. Yet if we say that, a lot of it's just from a memory, like we think of the first thing God said, let there be light, right? But there's actually some big implications if we don't understand that the very first thing God created was the heavens and the earth. And so I want to dig into that a little bit. It says, uh, and, I, and I, was, I was made aware of this probably about 15 years ago. A pastor told me like, hey, in Genesis chapter 2, it says the earth was without form and void. And he said that means destroyed, meaning that this was this old earth that God did something with, destroyed it, and then he started over. This is also where the gap theory comes in, right? And I'm going to try to be calm about this, but I get frustrated when we twist scripture to match science, you know? <laughs> Science is not where we discover the Bible. The Bible is how we understand science. Are we clear on that? And so this, I want to talk about the gap theory because I want us to make sure we understand that when we read Scripture, we're reading it the right way because some are going to say we're reading it wrong, okay? And I want to show you how we actually know. So when we look at the gap theory, again, it's saying, you know, 
light was the first thing, earth was this old thing. And I, you may have heard it this way. There's two kind of views of gap theory. One, which is much easier to deny, is this idea that you know, God says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so then they'll say the six days of creation, are, there's thousands of years, yet they say millions, which is fascinating. If you're going to say what it says, at least go with that. But yet we know that a day is not that because it's confined by morning and night the first day, morning and night the second day, morning and night. We're confined in the, in the context of exactly what it means. It's also fascinating that those who hold to that view, all of a sudden after day seven, now we're on a 24-hour period. And what changed? There is no change in Scripture. It's, it's all the same. So that one's easy for us to get past. The second one here, and again, we're not going to talk through all the days. I want to talk about the very first thing. The second view of the, the gap theory, which is the most dangerous is that they'll say that this has been rendered wrong. That in our Bibles, when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that that's actually wrong. That the Hebrew should not be worded that way. Because the way it's worded for us is it is a statement of absolute beginning. Meaning that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth as an absolute beginning. What they'll say is that that's actually wrong. The view for 3,000 years of Scripture is wrong. These Hebrew scholars have said that it actually is a statement describing the beginning or describing the condition of the world when God began creating. Okay, let me say that again because I messed that up. <laughs> so our Bible says that it's a statement of absolute beginning. What they'll say is that actually in the Hebrew, it's a statement describing the condition of the world when God began creating, right? And that's how it's, it was without form. It was void. It was old. It was all this different stuff. And then God took it and started creating, but here's the reality. Do we know what's right? And, and I get frustrated with this because why is it that when somebody says, hey, what you believe is wrong, we just believe that? Why is it that we say, well, actually, Hebrew scholars say it's different. Why do we just trust that? Does God's word give us a clear answer? I'm glad you asked because it actually does. So let's go back to verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, they'll say that we've ordered this wrong. However, in the beginning is a word in the Hebrew, rashith. And it means a chief beginning, the first fruits, the foremost, the absolute beginning. In the New Testament, we see the Greek described the same way. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning is a word in the Greek, arche. And it means, listen to this, origin, initial starting point, first, foremost, chief beginning. Does this sound familiar? Here we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. These words, Hebrew and Greek, both talking about an absolute beginning right here in the text. I've got to calm down. I'm getting frustrated. And I've heard people say, well, what about science? And we've got all this science. I, my question is, what about science? <laughs> Who cares what science says? I mean, honestly, like, again, we understand science because of the Word of God, and that is the lens in which we're to look at this thing, okay? But it's not just here. It's not just Genesis 1-1. It's not just John 1-1. It's not just Mark 10-6, when we get to that in a moment. God says that He did not create the, the world without form not to be inhabited. Isaiah 45-18 says this, and I want you to listen to the wording of this. This is very, very strong. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God, who formed the earth and made it, and he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Now look at this. I am the Lord. There is no other. God did not create the earth not to be inhabited. He didn't create it empty. He specifically says that. And here the gap theory says, no, actually you did, and you left it hanging out there for three million years. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Who are we to go against that? Jesus also speaks to this in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. He says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
here in the Greek the same way, but from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. When was Adam and Eve created? On the sixth day. How is it that that was from the beginning of creation if it's millions of years later? Jesus clearly shows that the sixth day is right at the beginning, which would make sense if we're talking six 24-hour periods, right? But we're also given even more in Genesis 1.1. Not only does in the beginning mean an absolute beginning, it says God created the heavens and the earth. The word for created is bara, and it means to create in an absolute sense. This is not like what you and I do. No human has ever created anything. We only take what exists and make something from it, right? That's not creating from an absolute sense. You may have heard it this way. Scientists come to God, and they're like, hey, we don't need you anymore. We figured out how to make man. It's like, oh, okay, let's see it. So they bend down to grab the dirt, and he says, no, no, go get your own dirt, right? I remember growing up, we, had, uh, we played Madden football on PlayStation, and I... And with a lot of the sport things, they have what's called create a player. And you can create a guy, you know, you can make him look like you and all that was never very accurate. The arms never got as big as mine. But anyhow, <laughs> but I remember the first time I did that and I remember telling my dad, I'm like, hey, look at this, I created this guy. And he said, what? And he was mad. And I'm like, well, this is he said, you don't create anything. He said, only God creates. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, dad, come on, you know. <laughs> But he's right, and we need to focus on what we're actually saying. We create nothing. And what the gap three and what the scientists are saying, that God created nothing either, that he just formed something that already existed, that is not true. The word is actually he created in an absolute sense, created from nothing. So why is it then that the world was without form and void? Because he just started, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was without form and void because he just started. Think of a painter. Now, again, we have to start with a canvas because we can't start from nothing. But pretend the canvas is nothing and you say, paint the world. What's he going to do? Start with the tree? Start with the leaves? No, he's going to start with a big circle, right? And then he's going to detail it. God starts with the heaven and the earth and then he details it over the next six days. Why was it without form and void? Because he just started. Now, before we move on from this, again, I mentioned that they say we've rendered this incorrectly. That the Hebrew should not be translated this way. Yet when they said that was about 200 years prior to all of our popular English translations. Now you would think that if they were so enlightened and let us all know, that we would see that reflected in our English translations. How many of us have a different English translation? I use the ESV. Pastor Aaron uses the CSV. My mom likes the NIV. My dad likes the King James Version. Mary's will like the NLT, right? And they're all different. You know my stance on that. I think that's something to celebrate because we have so many in our language. And there's differences, though. When we read a verse, there's, there's sometimes it seems significant differences because one is a word for word and the other is a phrase for phrase or a meaning. Not that they're wrong, but there's a difference. But now I want you to see something. If there's such an issue with our rendering, wouldn't we see that displayed in our English translations? There'll be a picture on the screen. This is from Bible Hub, who gives us our most common English translations. I don't know if you can read this. NIV says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. NLT says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. ESV, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. King James, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see the confusion we have? You would think that if there was such this in, improper rendering, that over all the years that God's preserved his word, we would see something. You're not going to find another verse like this except for, guess what, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. Rendered identically. Okay, there's not, just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's so. And we have evidence in scripture as to why we come to our conclusion. The other thing we have to deal with quick, because if you have kids in school, you're going to have to deal with this when we talk about how the earth was started. 
in verse 2, the second half, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we're going to come back to what the Spirit was actually doing here, but I want us to notice something. It says that the, over the face of the waters, the earth was covered in water. Why is that a big deal? Because your kid's science book says something radically different. They say, and this is, I, I want to respect people for their effort, and their, but I, I find myself just amazed at how we come up with stuff. They say that millions and millions of years ago, this hot ball of rock is floating through space. Like, how did the water get on there? Simple answer. A frozen ice comet or meteor is over here, smashes into the earth, covers it with water, right? What I find interesting is they say earth's significant and it's special, but for no special reason. The other thing that they said, which is the new theory now, the new theory is that, wait a second, the, the water had to be inside. I don't know how they discovered that, but they said it had to be inside. So now the water's inside the rock, and through all the volatile as it's floating around space, through the volcanoes, water comes out. <laughs> it's a different volcano than I know, but that's how the water covered it. But either way, the reality of it is they say the rock started in the water. That's in direct contradiction to what Scripture actually says. In Genesis 1.1, it says that the water was there first. We also see in Genesis 1.9, God said this, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. God's word said it was the water and then the rock come from out of it. 2 Peter 3.5 says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Why are we trying to figure out what happened and yet we reject what the Creator said actually happens. It blows my mind. Here all the time, this new scientific discovery could uncover the secret to how the world began. Friends, there's no secret. That's the first thing God said. In the first two, or the first sentence of this, God says exactly how it's created. It started with water and through water everything. Why is it that we reject that in an effort to understand? It blows my mind. All right, calm down. As I get out of shape, i got to really pay attention to my breathing here. <laughs> so we see creation started from an absolute beginning, started with water. And I say that not to just bash everyone that has a different opinion, but do we know what the Word of God actually says? So we look at creation, but now we have to understand the God of creation, because before we can move on to the Holy Spirit and His role in creation, we have to understand who God is, right? As Christians, we believe in what's called the Trinity. We believe in a triune God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three separate, yet the same. Does that, is that just tradition? I mean, and I, and I say that because this, is, this was just a question that kept going over and over in my mind as I was preparing for this. I kept going back to like, why do we believe that? Why do we believe that? And I felt that God wanted me to address that. And we actually see it here in verse 1. This isn't just something that Christians have decided to believe. This isn't just something that we just come out of thin air because it makes sense. And we need to know this because most religions will really attack us for this belief. So who is the God of creation? If we go back to verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second word here, because in the beginning, you know, is Rashid, God is Elohim. Now, Elohim is a fascinating Hebrew word. Elohim is a word that is plural, yet describes a singular deity. And what I found it, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but from the things I've studied is throughout other languages, anytime they would try to use this word to describe like angels or anything else, it was a plural word, therefore they used plural verbs and adjectives. 
Yet when, in the Bible, when it describes God, though it's plural, it always uses singular verbs. And so I think it's neat that within the Hebrew language, they've chosen a word in such a way that shows the plurality of a single God. In chapter 1 of Genesis, the word Elohim is used 32 times. In verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Right off the bat, we see something different about God. We see a plurality about God. But yet we read in Isaiah where it says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So how is it that we see a plurality, yet there's a singular thing? And I want to give you a couple Bible verses, and I understand the Trinity is something you and I are just not going to fully grasp. We're going to get to why here in a moment. But I don't want to just leave you hanging. There is not just here as to why we believe in the Trinity. And what we see in the Trinity is we see the three distinct persons of the Trinity viewed as doing the exact same thing, which can only happen if they're the same. Then we also see them as being separate from one another as well. And so I want to give you some of those just to kind of help you as you wrestle through this concept. In Revelation 4.11, I'm going to stay with creation since that's what our focus is today. John is at, sees the throne of God, and he sees God in all of his majesty, and it says that the elders were casting their crowns at their feet, and they were saying this, Worthy, O you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Right here. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we see that the Father created all things. In John 1, 3, speaking of the Son of God, it says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here we see the Son created all things. And here in Genesis 1, 2 is just one of the many that we're going to get into once we look at the rules. But we see that the Spirit creates all things. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all doing the exact same thing. Yet we also see that they are separate as well. In John 14, 26, we get a great illustration of this. Jesus says, the Son of God says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Jesus specifically says, as the Son of God, that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in his name. So though they've done the same thing, there's a distinction between the three. You might be thinking, how does this reconcile? How can God be three yet one all at the same time? Well, I'm telling you, it reconciles perfectly with God. It reconciles perfectly in his word. I've often said in the Bible, there's only black and white. There is no gray areas in the Bible. Gray happens when you and I take the black and white, push it together to try to understand. We create those gray areas. There's no issue with this with God. I think of other guys that uh, struggle with this, right, of not understanding God. And again, if we don't understand the fullness of God, should it shock us? He is God. We are night or not, right? Night. <laughs> I think of uh, Aaron Schuss, he wrote a song that's really cool. He says, God is God and I am not. I only see a picture, a part of the picture that he's painting. God is God, I am a man. I'll never fully understand it all because only God is God. There's a, when we understand who God is, to think that we could fully grasp it really says a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? We speak way too highly of ourselves. There's instances in the Bible that God encouraged us through that when people don't understand what God's doing, I think of Habakkuk. And in chapter 1, Habakkuk says, God, I don't understand. Explain to me what you're doing. And in verse 5, God says, the things I'm doing in your day, you wouldn't believe if it was told. Think of Job. Job says, God, I don't understand what you're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand. And what does God say? Job, where were you? Where were you when I created all this? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? 
And though God puts Job in his place, he also gives us some great encouragement. He says, in the moment when you don't understand, who are you going to trust? Yourself who doesn't understand, or me, the one who created all things. Just because we don't fully understand, it doesn't mean it's blind faith. The Bible clearly says it. And I told you I have a definition, because we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on the Trinity and come out with the same, just, okay, I don't fully get it, right? But there is a definition that I come up with I think helps us. Because all throughout Scripture, we see the, the roles that each individual one plays. And we see that the Father is the one who is the source and initiator of all things. We see the, uh, the Son is the agent in which the Father does those things. And we see the Spirit as the power. And so the definition that I think is helpful for us as we look through this is that the Spirit is the power in which the Father does all things through the Son. Again, the Spirit is the power in which the Father does all things through the Son. And this is going to be very helpful for us as we now look at what the role of the Spirit is. And the role of the Spirit in creation is that He is the power in which to create. If we go back to verse uh, 2, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now we're going to look at some other verses that clearly speak of the Spirit creating things. Um, but the word spirit here is translated breath or wind. And that's why I think the definition is helpful. If we understand that the spirit is the power in which the Father does all things through the Son, then when we see the things like, you know, the God breathed this or God's wind did this, we start to look at it closer and what you're going to find is the word is the same as the spirit because it's the power in which the Father does things. Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath or spirit of his mouth all their hosts. Job 26, 13, by his wind, or literally by the Spirit, the heavens were made fair. We know the Spirit was active in creation. Now let's go back and look at what he was actually doing in verse 2. It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now this word hovering is interesting because it's only used three times in the Bible. Here, in Deuteronomy, and then also in Jeremiah. And from the Deuteronomy and Jeremiah is where the definition actually comes from. In Deuteronomy, it speaks of an eagle who's actually taking care of the young. And then also helping them fly for the very first time. As he, the, the eagle flutters over, so when they fall, he's catching and just allowing this first flight to actually be possible. In Jeremiah 23, it's used to describe bones shaking or trembling. And the definition of hovering here is the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters. The definition is to flutter, to move, or to shake. So now think about this. If the Spirit is the power in which the Father creates, think about what's happening as the Spirit is fluttering, moving, and shaking over the waters. And God says, let there be light. Right? This, the power that is actually taking place when they're creating from nothing. Again, we're not, it's not like what you and I do. We're not taking something and making it into something. Else. The, he's creating from absolutely nothing. So the Spirit's power didn't just create the stars, but it created the system in which the stars are going to remain didn't just create the land and seas, but the system not allowing the water to go any further, right? You see all this throughout here, the land and sea creatures and their entire natural process in which they're going to function. When he creates man, it isn't just this empty shell that's going to evolve into something else. No, it's every single detail of our bodies, our, our cells, every, everything, our emotions, physically, emotionally, and spiritually was created in that moment. Think of the power of the Holy Spirit as he is fluttering, shaking, and moving, and creation happens. It's incredible. Spirit is the power to create, but the Spirit also creates life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
And I know it says here that he formed, but back in Genesis 1, he created man. So I don't want to make us misunderstand what's happening here. But this creation is taking place, and then breath is breathed in through the Spirit to give life. But it wasn't just Adam. The Spirit, life wasn't just given to Adam, and then we all just, God just kind of lets everything happen from there. We're told that God is in the initiator of life from every living creature. Job says in Job 33, 4, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The psalmist says in Psalm 104, 30, When you send forth your spirit or breath, they are created. Life is given by God through the power of the Spirit. And it's given to every single one of us that's alive. Every living creature is breathed into life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the life Jesus came to give. Pastor Aaron's going to talk about that next week. Jesus says, I came to give life. That's not what we're talking about here. The life that the Spirit gives to every, th every living creature is the physical life that we know. It. We're standing here breathing. We're all alive, hopefully, right, in this room. This is the life. The physical life is given. Whether we're saved or not, doesn't matter. The Spirit is the initiator who gives that life. So I want us to think about the power of that. Think about the power of creation. Think about the power when man was created. And it makes us think of another incredible display of the power of the Spirit in the birth of Christ. Now I want to be clear. Me and Pastor Aaron talked about this a lot. <laughs> we want to make sure we fully understand what we're talking about. The birth of Christ is another one of those things that we need to really understand what we're talking about. We already said that the Son of God is, a, is part of the Godhead. The Son of God is God, always eternal, no beginning, no end, yet Jesus was born. The Son of God always existed, created all things, man included. Yet Jesus was born 2,021 years ago. Our entire calendar is built around that. Jesus, the man, was born 2,021 years ago. Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. I don't want us to be confused in that. But the reason that's possible is because Jesus is different than you and I. There's something special about Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same exact time. Pastor Aaron mentioned before, one of his pastors used to say he's the only 200% man to ever walk this earth. Fully God and fully man. That would take some incredible power to happen. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, we see how Jesus is different than you and I. It says, thus it is written, and he's going to quote Genesis 2, 7 that we just read about Adam. It says, thus the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So he shows the difference of Adam who was given life, and he was formed from the earth, yet Jesus was formed from heaven, right? We see a distinction between that, and it's a fascinating because we're all born in the likeness of Adam, yet we can be born again in Christ. And we're going to talk about that next week. How is this possible? How is it that Jesus could be fully man and fully God? Again, it takes some incredible power for that to happen. Let's look at Luke 135 as we see this take place. Mary's asking the angel, how is this possible? And the angel answered her in verse 35. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The power of God was on display again. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is how this is going to happen. And this child to be born is going to be called Holy, the Son of God. When we look at the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. These are parallel things saying the exact same thing. And there's an emphasis here that we need to be very clear on. This speaks of this cloud, this overshadowing, this coming upon. Speak, it should remind us of Moses with the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God over, overcoming them, right? They, had, they, they were in the midst of God. Yet in no sense... 
at all does it even hint at the idea that yet God had relations with Mary. That is a sick, twisted view of Scripture, and no way does it do it. In fact, the words are actually very, very specific. And instead of speaking to the person of the Spirit, they specifically speak to the power of the Spirit to make this happen. Worded exactly the same way as Acts 1.8, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples you know, when they receive the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur says this about this verse. This was a creative act of the Holy Spirit, not the sort of divine human cohabitation sometimes seen in pagan mythology. God did not have relations with Mary, but the power of the Spirit did something in Mary that was absolutely incredible. Again, Jesus wasn't going to become the Son of God. Some will say he didn't know he was until he gets baptized and the dove comes down and God says, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. Like, that's when he realized it. No, no. At the very beginning, before it all took place, we're told that the child to be born is to be holy and will be called the Son of God. Jesus didn't become the Son of God. He always would. In fact, that's what got him killed in John 5, 18. They wanted to kill Jesus because he said that God was his Father, and they understood that that meant that he was equal with God. As I think about Adam, who was formed from the earth, Adam bore the image of God. Jesus was formed from heaven. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's some incredible power that the Holy Spirit does. When we think of the transfiguration and Jesus displays all of his glory in front of the three disciples, right? We're like, oh, what, what incredible power. See, that's not the power. The power is that they were able to contain the glory of God into the man of Christ. That's the incredible power. The Spirit is the power in which the Father does all things through the Son. And we're also told that this creation will be destroyed and that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth one day. And in that new heaven and earth, we're just told that it's going to happen. We're not told the Spirit's role, but we can assume it's the same, that it's still the power in which the Father does those things. But here's what I find interesting. At the end of it all, in Revelation 22:17, when it's all set up, when it's all finished, it says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. There's this gospel invitation. When it's all finished, when the wedding supper of the Lamb is ready, the Spirit is the one that's going to say, come and bring us in. I want to ask the praise team to come and if we'll bow our heads as we reflect on this. I pray that, that we begin to just trust what the Word says. And I challenge you that when somebody, anybody comes up and says, hey, that's, this proves the Bible wrong. Can you verify that? Don't just take somebody's word for it. What we know about God is what He's told us about Himself. And we're not going to grow in understanding when we reject what He says. I wonder today if there's some that are, don't know the Lord as their Savior. Never made that decision to follow Christ. I pray that today would be the day you'd open your eyes. That you would call on Him to be saved. I'm going to talk about it next week. The incredible power and salvation of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you've not left us in this world to walk around with no idea what's going on. But from the very beginning, you've made it abundantly clear exactly the things that you want us to know. God, I pray that we would trust that. God, I pray that we would just grow in our desire and our love for your word. And God, I pray today that you would just use your word in a mighty way to spark something in us, that we hold your word at the level it should be as superior, as supreme as the authority. God, I pray that you'd be with us now as we respond through song.
And God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray you'd open their eyes. That they would see their sin for what it really is and that they would call on you and be saved. That we love you and we thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.